This morning I would like to speak to you once more about a theme which I left last week and would like to go back to again, having to do with the second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, having to do with the last days, and especially in reference to the problems we face today, which are so tremendous. As no other time in man's history, we are facing problems that go far beyond anything we have ever known before. And it is not just the world outside that is being affected, if I can make this very clear, but it is the church itself. And when I say the church, I'm speaking of the true church. In other words, there are, there are problems that we face as churches, as families, that indicate to us that the last days are upon us. I don't believe there's ever been a day if I could uh, go back over, let me say, oh, possibly ten years to, oh, say the time my children were about 15 years of age, between 15 and 20. There was an entirely different attitude as far as young people were concerned. They thrilled at the things which we did as a church. This was always a, a great blessing to my heart. Uh, we had said to uh, Donald was down just a few weeks ago, our son, and uh, in speaking with him, at the table, we had said to him, concerning, for instance, the rallies, Word of Life rallies. Uh, we used to have uh, the uh, Bible clubs in the area here, InterVarsity. Then we also had high school evangelism, Brant Reed. We had all these different things back in those days. And uh, Alice had said to him at the table, she said, you know, you must have been very kind to us to have been willing to come with Lynn and Bob to all of the rallies we went to. And Donald turned to her and he said, uh, no, Mom, I wasn't kind at all. I really enjoyed it and had a blessed and wonderful time of fellowship with all the other young people that we went with on the bus and just enjoyed the good time we had to get. There's been a complete change in, in young people, if I could say. Uh, young people today are faced with tremendous problems outside. I realize the pressures are great. But I believe if our young people would understand that it is a sign of the last days, it might help them as Christians to react to us as parents as God wishes reaction. This is so important because in these last days, the scripture is very clear. In Revelation 12, it says this, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil is come down unto you. 
having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time to go. Number one, it would be rather amazing to most people to even think of Satan coming down. Most people think he's going to come up. But he happens to be the god of this world and the prince of the powers of the air. And so the average conception of the world outside concerning Satan is that he's in the bottomless pit and somehow he's coming up. He's not in that place yet. He will be cast into there in Revelation. Right now he's going about like a roaring lion devouring whomever he will. And I want to say he's having a great day with young people and with older people too. He's playing havoc with the church. He's playing havoc with families. I would remind you his name is multiple. It isn't just uh, Satan or it isn't just the devil. He has many names. He's called the old serpent, the great deceiver the man of sin, the prince of the powers of the air, the god of this world, Beelzebub. We could go down the whole gamut. God has given him a lot of names. One of his chief ones is that he is a great deceiver. He has deceived adults into reconciling themselves to the world, though they're in the church. And he has deceived young people into believing that disobedience and rebellion is their privilege in the age we live in. Although the scripture is very clear, as Paul tells us in Timothy, that in the last days there shall be perilous times come. And he tells us in that very portion in 1 Timothy, he speaks about those perilous times that are coming in which there shall be truce breakers, there shall be all kinds of sin, And one of the things he mentions is that there shall be great disobedience and disrespect for parents. That is very, very clearly said in the last days. Now, any young person who's a born-again Christian here this morning shouldn't have that problem if you're really born again. You must judge yourself on this matter, young folks. And we as parents must judge ourselves too, whether we are fulfilling that place that God has called us to stand in. Whether there has been anything about us that the children have found possibly is not congruous with the Christian life. Is there a a purity about us a separated life? Is there a deep love in the family? Is there a lack of temper and argumentation? Is there a loving spirit? Is there a lack of gossip? Are all these things in the family life? Do the children see this? Do the young folks see this? That you are real as a born-again Christian and the love of Christ really dwells in your heart by faith and you exhibit it in every single way you can.
I hate to think, you know, I've often heard that story that a lot of people have Sunday dinner, have roast pasta. <laughs> May I thank you for last Sunday? It uh, was one of the hardest messages I ever have to bring when it's on modesty. It's very difficult. But I want to thank you for the notes, the phone calls, the mothers who came to me and said, praise the Lord. I just want to thank you. I had the biggest response I had in the last six months from people who said, thank you for talking on modesty. It's not easy for a pastor. But as I said last week, do I love you the less because I tell you the truth? We're living in a terrible age. Unless we recognize it, we're not seeing at all that the devil has come down having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time to go. And so he's going to exhibit in every way and attack the church in every way, going about like a roaring lion, devouring whomever he will. In this age we're living in, we're facing these tremendous problems. And I can't help but think that we can discern the seasons, but we don't seem to be able to discern the signs of the times. Whatever it is, the Lord says that. He says, you seem to be able to discern the seasons, you know, when spring and summer and fall and winter come, but what is it about you, he says, that you don't seem to be able to discern the very signs of the times? You see it all around you. You have all of the evidences. And yet, he said, when my word is spoken, it bounces off you. It does not penetrate down deep into the soul. Now, I think some of the signs are clearly delineated in the scriptures. We wouldn't have to have anything but the scriptures to go by. But I think there are other signs beside this, you see, that we should be able to discern. There are things happening around us scientifically, if I could say. Harry would probably, Hedick would probably understand what I'm talking about. Things that happen scientifically around us that should indicate to us that the Lord's coming is nigh. Some of the signs that we get in Scripture are very clear. Wars and rumors of wars unto the very end. Violence shall fill the earth. We don't have to look far, do we, for violence now? In the last days, violence shall fill the earth. Iniquity shall abound. False teachers shall come in unawares. And oh, be very careful here, false teachers. There are many of them touring the country, teaching damnable heresies. He says there are a lot of people got itching ears. They'd like to have a gospel that will please them. Doesn't matter what's been preached seriously down through the ages. There's something new, something that, as Paul says, having itching ears, that they can hear something that will satisfy them and them alone. The love of many shall wax cold. There'll be the forbidding to marry. We can see that. A falling away in the true church. As I said before, children disobedient and disrespectful to parents, days like the days of Lot, sin shall abound, days like the days of Noah. All these are recorded, beloved, in Scripture. 
And besides this, there's Israel's position in the land. There's Russia's position in the north. And Ezekiel 36 to 38, 39 and 40 make this very clear. It is the northernmost parts. And if you take a direct line right from Israel, you will go right through Russia. There's the kings of the east. We think of China. All of the things around us are speaking of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. The great power struggle is developing and developing much faster than we ever can imagine. The power struggle between the east and the west because the power struggle really right now is not just between the Arabs and the Jews. The power struggle right now is between the United States and Russia. It's not just that little hot spot on the face of the earth that is the great power struggle. It's that which God has prophesied of in his word is to come to pass in Ezekiel 38, when the powers of the northern confederacy shall descend upon Israel. And although President Nixon may not have any idea, I do not know, about the prophetic side of Scripture, this is so clear that no matter what the United States does, you'll never stop the prophetic side of God's Word. We are bucking against a prophetic wall when we begin to say, let's stop Russia. I'm not saying we should sit back, but what I'm saying is that in God's inviolable plan, Russia has already been predetermined, shall one day descend upon Israel to take a spoil for itself, and that day is fast, fast approaching. Unless we have any mistake about Russia's power and cannot conceive of the power of these people, we should realize that at the present moment, right now, you and I are here in this auditorium. Russia has three times or four times the number of Sputniks touring back and forth across the United States, photographing every single spot on the United States, just as we have been doing in Russia for a long time since the beginnings of the U-2. And now it's all done by these tremendous, the wonderful satellites that we've placed up there. But Russia has three to four times these photographing the United States. Do you have any conception of their power? For instance, the high command last week, it was very concerned, had a private meeting with, with the president to discuss the fact that Russia had put up eight satellites through one large send-off. And they believe they have warheads. Warheads that the eight of them could wipe out the United States in one blinding flash. 
And what's more, Stuart Alsop had in his column last week, and he's one of the finest of columnists, he said, since the new SS-9 of Russia has now, the United States was encouraged in their satellite goings over Russia, they had noticed that the SS-9, which comes from a deep silo in the earth, that the Russians seemed to have be dismantling them, and they thought it was an indication of disarmament until they found that they had taken the missiles out to make the silos twice to three times as big with much larger weapons and already have 40 in place that would kill, they claim, 300 million people in one attack. And Stuart Alsop said, the United States believes that now with the power they have, the date has been set for the attack upon our nation. Now, I'm glad that's not passed again. David Lawrence says the same thing. He's a great commentator. The attack has been set. Now, I'd have to say, if I look at the church today, beloved, that honestly, I wonder what we're thinking of doing. Because as you look around us and you see, and I, I have to say this because I think it's, it's very important, I wonder at the marches we have in Washington, all of the ideas of taking marches with all the Christians down to stop the war. And then I read the numbers that the government says were there, and the government will say there were 5,000, and the Christians say there's 25,000. It's hard for me to get an estimate on how many people marched down when they were in Washington. But there is a brother there who knows Christ as his personal Savior, whom I disagree with most violently in what he's doing. Does not mean he's not born again. But I disagree with his methodology. I believe if he had 25,000 people marching down and waving their Bibles in a march, why aren't they out visiting people and winning them for Jesus Christ? For as I understand the return of the church, the return of Christ for his church, it is when the body of Christ is completed and has nothing to do with our marches down the streets of Washington. The church has its job to do. And the job of the church of Jesus Christ is not political. The job of the church of Jesus Christ is to preach the gospel to every creature that they may find Christ as their personal Savior and be saved. That's the job of the church. The job of the church can't change one iota the day of the Lord's return. And since the true church knows the Lord is coming soon, what should the true church be doing? Should it be marching down avenues, talking about war? Or should the messages from the pulpit be on Vietnam? Or should the messages on the pulpit be about the world scene or commentary on present-day books? Or should the message from the pulpit of Jesus Christ be, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? 
Because I want to tell you, it doesn't matter much how you die in this old physical body. Whether it be by some atomic bomb, whether it be by some great conflict, it matters not. What does matter is, where does your soul stand concerning Jesus Christ? And if every evidence we have, and it amazes me how Christians are blind, I can't realize, when they see their newspapers blazing out headlines to them of what's coming. And yet with all of this, and the Bible telling them the same thing, yet they sit back as though time is no element, don't worry, it isn't going to happen in our time. But I remember that the scripture says, in such a day as they thought not the floods came. And the people were swept away. And judgment came. I thought about Noah, you know. And I couldn't help thinking this week, I wonder if Noah had been like that, what would have happened? He stopped building the ark, and then he got to looking at the people around him, and he saw how wicked they were, and they were just as wicked, you know. It says in that day, that's what happened. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the world, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's when the floods came. But I wonder, suppose Noah had been a different type. God told Noah what he wanted Noah to do. And God has told his preachers what he wants them to do. And God has told his children what he wants them to do. But suppose Noah had said to himself, boy, look at this world outside. It really is wicked. I'm going to stop building this ark. I'm going to get involved in the political life of the country here. Carpenters, forget it for a while. We've got a job to do outside. Let's forget the whole thing and let's get a big parade together and we'll march down into Nineveh. We'll march down into every wicked city there is and we'll just march and object to the wickedness. And he stopped building the ark. What would have happened to Noah? What would have happened to Lot and his family if when God warned them about Sodom and Gomorrah that fire and brimstone was going to come down from heaven and, and, and burn up the cities and he decided in his own mind, well, I don't uh, know whether I go along with this. I just think that somehow this isn't going to happen. So instead of doing that, he decided, I'll just uh, stay with my family and uh, I won't do anything. I'll stay right in the city. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You see? There is to be about us a sense of the area of the world that we're living in today and the problems that are being faced by the world and recognizing that the picture of the soon coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You can read your papers. I cut out articles this week that really, they, they astound me. You know, when I think of Russia, this, this I'd cut out a while ago. I'd, this is Christian life. But I cut the cover off because it struck me exactly what it had to say. Here is the Jewish menorah candles, you see, but they're stuck into oil drums. And I couldn't help but think, there's the whole thing. There's God 
and there's Russia, and Russia's great desire for oil. And the only way Russia can get the oil is to go through Israel. How do you know that? Listen to this. This is, this is out of Parade magazine. This will amaze you. You think of the intrigue of the day. Just listen to this. Last September, you've heard of the super tanker Aquarius, haven't you? This tremendous super tanker that carries oil. It collided with a Russian merchantman off the Arabian coast. In the aftermath of the disaster, it emerged that the Aquarius was carrying 213,000 tons of Persian crude oil bound for Israeli pipelines. Furthermore, the Aquarius was chartered and operated by an Israeli company, Transasiatic Oil, which for a fee, no questions asked, guarantees untraceable transportation from the Persian Gulf to anywhere in Europe. Now listen, the Aquarius provides the clue to a complicated picture of intrigue and high-level complicity we have never heard of before. Israel needs foreign currency, and the Arabs need the means to get their oil to market quickly and cheaply. In other words, Israel is delivering much-needed Arab oil to Russia. Can you believe it? The nation whom God says is going to attack her and whom she fears and whom she pleads with the United States stay on our side. Let me read that again. Israel needs foreign currency and the Arabs need the means to get their oil to market quickly and cheaply. The Soviet Union is deeply involved. In other words, Israel is delivering much-needed Arab oil to Russia and to Russia's vehemently anti-Zionist satellite. When asked to comment on this London Times scoop, the Israeli embassy in Washington said, Israel has a pipeline. Beyond that, we can say nothing. Would you believe? They're delivering that black gold to Russia in great while. And the very oil they send one day is going to be used against them. I remember, you know, when I was a younger fellow, most of you, you young people up there won't remember, but when I was young, I can remember I worked in Manhattan and they tore down the Second Avenue L. And I can remember then reading in the papers later that Japan took the Second Avenue L and made it into the weapons that they fought the United States and blasted us at Pearl Harbor with. They bought the whole thing. We didn't buy it. Japan bought it. And here now, Israel is doing the same thing. Do you know... What time is it? Do you know, for instance, we talk of this great oil discovery in Alaska. 
Now, Esso is doing quite an advertising campaign, you know, on the oil in Alaska. But one thing they mentioned yesterday that struck me, this is hardly good publicity. Here's what they said. This great oil strike in Alaska, Alaska will last the United States three years if we use it all. you think everything was unlimited, wouldn't you? you think that we could go on bleeding our resources? That there's no end to all of these things. God is just saying, don't you see? You're bleeding the earth dry. That's one of your problems. There'll be a lack of food. There's an article here that says, Doomsday 1980. Two weeks ago, President Nixon met with a group of scientists who told him that by the year 1975 to 78, the United States will face famine. Last year, they told him 20 million people starved to death in this world. And they told him that if we got to 2,000, this is what the scientists told him, there will be only 20 million Americans left living on the face of this earth because of complete starvation and the type of diet we are eating and slowly deteriorating, deteriorating, deteriorating. This was to the President of the United States. You know what he did? I noticed one thing he said. He said, all I can say is this, and this struck me. He says, the only one has an answer to these problems is the church. You would have thought he would have said the scientists had the answer, wouldn't you? He says, the only one that has the answer to any of these problems is the church. And I want to tell you, the true church has the only answer to the problems of mankind. And it isn't going to be that we're going to settle all the political problems or we're going to make it so that there'll be no famines. It's none of these things. The only thing we can tell mankind is this. Be born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Come to Christ as your personal Savior. And these things that are going to descend upon this earth, which we believe cannot be stopped, and the scientists say the same thing, incidentally, these things one day may hit the earth with a great blast. But we believe that when that final day comes, when mankind suffers its greatest judgments from God, in which there will be, as Jesus says, Great famine shall sweep the earth. And he said there'll be perplexities of nations and the seas and the waves roaring and great earthquakes throughout the world. When that day comes, the true church will have been translated into the kingdom of God and from the pavilions of heaven we'll be able to look but will not have part in the great tribulation which all men now say is on the way. What more do you want? Science says so. The Bible says so. Great teachers say so. Why, if you quote these men, article after article after article, it just crushes you. When you see what they're going to be able to do with men, it, it amazes you. Here I pick an article out of the paper yesterday. 
genetic control, they call it. They will be able to create within the next two years to three years monsters through birth. They will be able to create docile creatures who will have no power to fight. Remember the portion in Daniel, men shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase before the last day. Here, University of California professor says, we now have an IQ pill. Scientists now have the secrets of brain chemistry to make such a pill right now and use it. Biochemists and psychologists have been looking over it for 15 years. And the drugs will not only improve intelligence, but we can diminish it or debase it or erase all your memories. And you don't think Jesus is coming soon? I want to tell you, before there'll be a monster created by man who has not the light of Christ in him. Remember, there is a light that lights every man that comes into the world. And that light is a spirit light. It's not the light of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't dwell in his breast. But he has a spirit nature, every man, that can conceive of God. And when we've come to the point when men say, we now have the possibility in the next two to three years to create monsters through natural birth who will be giants, monstrosity, murderers. We can get what we want. I want to tell you the Lord's coming as soon. Are you ready? Hmm? Are you ready? We need a risen church, beloved, a church that really is on fire for Jesus Christ. If these are the last days, and that's the delusion that is happening to the church, Satan is going about like a roaring lion, devouring whoever he was. Does that mean he's going to bring you down into deep sins and adulteries and fornications? No, he's going to blind your minds. That's what it says. Blind your minds so that you don't see the truth and you won't even be able to understand when the newspapers are fitting into the Biblical, biblical concept of the future, you won't see it. You'll be blinded to it and you'll begin to uh, compromise with the world and reconcile yourself to the world. And you'll be, as one psychologist has said, we have changed the world and put it upside down. And he said, now the children run the parents. And he says, in this sort of a culture, man is through. Well, beloved, are you really believing what God has to say? Noah preached for 120 years and nobody listened. The only ones got saved were he and his family. Well, I'm glad that's not just Alice and I and the kids. I happen to believe that a lot of you right here this morning, if not most of you, are saying, Amen, Pastor. We're glad we're saved. Let me see your hands. How many are saved this morning? You really know it. Praise the Lord. 
All right, let us pray together. Father, we thank thee this morning for just the, the simple worldly signs around us. These are not signs that are spoken of specifically in Scripture, but they're signs that the Lord has to come soon. Man has gone too far. We remember that you said, my spirit will not always strive with man. There's a point, Lord, where your permissive will will be changed to your directive will. And Lord, when that day comes, great wrath will fall upon the earth. We read, Lord, where in Revelation it said, Satan has come down among you because he knows his time is short. Oh, God, let us not be deceived. Bless mothers and fathers this morning. Lord, help them to stand fast for the gospel of Jesus and a separated life, no matter what the children say. And oh, God, touch our sons and daughters. Lord, God, touch our sons and daughters and help them not to be blinded. Lord, these are the last days. Help us live to live and to breathe in Christ and seeing the signs all around us, both biblical, worldly, and church, knowing that Christ is coming soon. Turn the hearts of the children to thee and to their parents and the hearts of the parents to the children. Bless us as families, for there's nothing we long for more than that our family shall be translated complete into the presence of Christ. God grant that no son or daughter or mother or father in this place does not know Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, I leave it for every heart this morning. That decision has to be very clear. May they decide for Jesus as their very own Savior, and though we should not have to add this, we add it, Savior and Lord of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.